Most people in positions of leadership try their best to project a good image to others, which is not always a bad thing, since it's important for people to have confidence in their leaders and in their leaders' abilities. But some men and women in positions of leadership definitely do go to extremes these days. In fact, on the very day I was preparing this homily, I happened to be listening to sports radio as I was driving my car, and I heard that Kobe Bryant, who certainly is the recognized leader of the Los Angeles Lakers basketball team, I happened to hear that Kobe had a manicure and a pedicure somewhere in Boston in between games one and two of the NBA Finals. Now, I don't know if that made him play any better, given the result of the series, probably not. I don't know whether it made him a better, more effective leader on the basketball court, but it certainly did make him look better. To the fans and to his fellow players, at least he thought it did, it enhanced his image in that sense. The danger, of course, in all this is that a person's image becomes more important than his ability and moral character. I think this is a big problem nowadays in the world of politics. I have met people, for example, recently, who do not know the positions of John McCain and Barack Obama on any of the crucial issues facing our nation right now. They don't know anything about where these guys stand. And yet, these same people have already decided which of the two they intend to vote for in November. Their reasoning is, well, I'm going to vote for him because he sounds better, or he looks better, or he seems better. It's all about image. Image over substance. It's a big problem. How different St. Peter and St. Paul were. Here we have, my brothers and sisters, arguably, the two greatest leaders in the history of the church. And yet what has to strike you when you read the scriptures is how honest they were about themselves. And not just somewhat honest. These men were brutally honest about their weaknesses, about their failings, about their sins. Many people aren't aware of the fact that St. Mark, the author of the second gospel, was a disciple of St. Peter. And because of that fact, many scholars theorize that Mark's gospel is actually the gospel that Peter preached during his ministry. Mark wrote down the things he heard Peter say. And yet, Mark's gospel does not hide any of Peter's failings, which means that Peter himself didn't try to hide his failings. Mark records Peter's denials of Jesus on Holy Thursday. He doesn't gloss over them. He doesn't 
pardon the expression, deny them in any way. He records Peter's failure to believe in the resurrection when he first heard about it. In fact, according to St. Mark, none of the apostles believed in the resurrection when the women, Mary Magdalene and the others, first told them about it. Mark even records that famous scene at Caesarea Philippi where Jesus ends up saying to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. That's in Mark. Peter must have preached that. Can you imagine Jesus calling you Satan and then you going around telling that to other people? I would have been embarrassed. Peter was up front. No concern with his image. Peter also wrote two New Testament letters. He begins the second one with these words, which are very revealing. He writes, Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. Remember, Simon was his name before he met Jesus. It was a name that signified for Peter his human weakness. So even though he was now the first pope, the rock upon which the church was built, at the same time, in his own mind, he was still Simon, that weak, frail, all-too-human sinner. And yes, he was an apostle, the chief of the apostles, but at the same time, in his own mind, he was a doulos, that's the word in the Greek, a slave. Simon Peter, notice he says, slave first. A slave of Jesus, yes, and also an apostle. Obviously, Peter was not obsessed with his image. He wouldn't have been getting manicures and pedicures for himself anywhere. And neither was St. Paul obsessed with his image. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says of himself, I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, a man filled with arrogance. And then at the very end of that chapter, he calls himself the worst of all sinners. That was not unusual for Paul. He does something similar in 1 Corinthians 15 and 2 Corinthians 12. These two great leaders, great apostles, were humble and honest, brutally honest and real. All of which, my brothers and sisters, makes their message about Jesus Christ much more credible. This is one more reason to believe what the Bible says about Jesus. You see, if these men had been dishonest about themselves and had denied their own sins and failings, I'd suspect that they were also being dishonest in some way about Jesus. But since they were completely upfront about their warts, their spiritual and moral warts, failings, weaknesses. Since they were so honest in that way, I'm inclined to believe that they were also being completely honest in what they said about Jesus Christ, being the all-perfect and all-holy Son of Almighty God Himself. So today's lesson is really very simple. We should not be afraid to admit our mistakes. 
and our weaknesses, and even our sins to other people, when it's helpful and when it's appropriate, even when we're in positions of leadership. In fact, it's probably even more important to admit one's mistakes if you're in a position of leadership. Now, please do not misunderstand me. I don't want any misunderstanding out there. I am not saying that we should all go and make public confessions to everybody we meet on the street. That would not be wise. That would be imprudent and downright foolish. But we all need to say we are sorry from time to time, do we not? Especially to members of our own families. That's one setting where it's most appropriate and most helpful to come clean about our sins and failings. I think we're all well aware of the fact nothing destroys a family more quickly and more effectively than unacknowledged and unrepented sin. If you're not willing to say sorry, that you're sorry, to your spouse, to your brothers, to your sisters, you're in big trouble. Your family's in big trouble. But even beyond those situations where forgiveness and reconciliation are needed, the fact is, we all need a little guidance from time to time. We need to share our weaknesses, our struggles with other people who have the ability and the willingness to help us, to encourage us, to support us, to console us, and to challenge us when necessary. Please keep this in mind. A weakness that is totally hidden and completely denied is very often a scandal waiting to happen. And if you don't believe me, ask someone like former New York Governor Elliot Spitzer. That man had a struggle with sexual temptation. A lot of people do. If he had shared that struggle with another caring human being who could have helped him and challenged him where he needed to be challenged, he'd probably still be governor today. He wouldn't have resigned in disgrace. He wouldn't have had to resign in disgrace. A weakness that is totally hidden and completely denied is very often a scandal waiting to happen. Peter and Paul were open and they were honest, even about their sins and inner struggles. And my brothers and sisters, it's that openness and that honesty that helped them to become great saints, as well as great leaders in the early church. St. Peter, pray for us. St. Paul, pray for us. Pray that we will follow your example and be willing to admit our mistakes and our weaknesses and our sins to other people when it's appropriate. Beginning right there, beginning in the confessional, where we receive special graces to cope with our inner struggles and where we receive the greatest gift of all, forgiveness, total, complete forgiveness for our sins.